Hey guys, welcome to the Swerve Church Podcast. My name is Danny, the lead pastor. I pray that the message that you're about to hear is encouraging, uplifting, and honestly challenging as well. I want to invite you to join us in person Sundays at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub at 239 Stanhope Street, or catch church online at 11 a.m. on our YouTube or Facebook page. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I pray that you're blessed by today's message and that it helps draw you closer to Jesus. There are a few things in life that are super rare to see, and if you're lucky enough to experience it, it's a big deal, and you probably tell everyone about it. For example, a double rainbow. How many of you have ever seen a double rainbow? If you have, it's pretty rare, and, so, and it's so pretty that you probably took out your phone to snap a picture. What about going to a baseball game and catching a foul ball? That's pretty rare as well. Have you ever caught a foul ball? It's actually about 1 in 1,000 chance to catch one at a baseball game. It's also rare to be struck by lightning. In fact, according to the National Weather Service, there is a 1 in 1.2 million chance that you get struck by lightning this year. It's a pretty rare shot that it happens to you. Today, I want to talk about something else that is also super rare. I mean, you don't see or experience it very much at all. In some cases, you might even say that this thing is rarer than a double rainbow. It's rarer than catching a foul ball at a baseball game. It's more rare than getting struck by lightning. In fact, this thing is so rare that you might have a greater chance at seeing the Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot, and a leprechaun having brunch at a seaside restaurant in the Bahamas. Today, we're going to be challenged by God's Word to unearth this attribute. We're going to be encouraged by Paul, the author of the letter to the Philippians, to strive for this thing, to engage in it, to want it, and to exemplify. What is it? What is this rare sight? Well, it's contentment. Contentment is a secret that if we uncovered it, could absolutely change our lives. You see, most people live their lives in discontent. And if you're honest today, you might even say that perhaps more often than not, you find yourself in a place of discontentment. Discontentment is impactful to our lives. Discontent can impact us emotionally. It can change how we feel. For example, it is difficult to feel happiness when discontent. It is hard to feel empathy and sympathy for others when you're discontent. Discontent can impact us relationally. It can keep you from celebrating the wins in the lives of others. It can fill a relationship with envy. It can help foster bitterness and unforgiveness. It can lead you to hold grudges. Discontent can even impact you spiritually. It can cause you to ignore the blessings of God surrounding you while focusing on the areas that you lack or think you lack. You can shift blame to God for the bad things in your life, causing a rift in your relationship with Him, which will in turn lead you down a dark, cold path spiritually, thinking that maybe you're better off without God altogether. How content are you? If I were to put up a contentment meter, where would you rate yourself? How would you rate your contentment in regards to your financial or professional life? How would you rate your contentment in regards to your relationships, your group of friends, your spouse, your parents or kids or your church family? How would you rate your contentment in regards to your circumstances, your stage of life, your physical well-being, your marital status, the, the progress or the lack of progress that you've made in life? How would you rate yourself? If you're like most people, if you're being completely honest with yourself today, you might say that your contentment meter is probably not where you would like it to be. Because here's the thing. If we measure contentment by the metrics most people do, even if you were to reach the level of contentment that you desired, once you get there, you wind up wanting what's next and you feel discontent 
again. In other words, the finish line that is contentment for most people is a vanishing line. And the minute that you get there, it disappears and it reappears even further away. And when you think your contentment meter is full, the gauge just grows and the needle stays in place. In today's passage, Paul is going to help us discover the secret to contentment. In discovering the secret to contentment, not only are there amazing spiritual implications, but let me tell you, in discovering the secret to contentment, there are amazing real-world applications right here, right now, real-life implications. In other words, this secret will absolutely change how you view your world and live your life. So we're going to look at three truths from today's passage in regards to contentment. Here's number one. Contentment is not connected to circumstances. And here's what Paul writes. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. Now I want you guys to notice what Paul is saying here. Uh, you might want to highlight a circle or underline this part in your notes. It's really important. He says that he has learned to be content. And here's the thing. Discontentment doesn't need to be taught to you. You're born with a selfish, entitled attitude bent towards discontentment. Discontentment is hardwired into our sinful nature. No one taught you to be that way. You were born that way. Consider Adam and Eve all the way in Genesis 3. What was underneath their sin and disobedience of God's command to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a discontent at everything else God had provided for them. They ultimately weren't satisfied with all of the other blessings God provided, all the freedom He had given them, His proximity to them, and they took it upon themselves to satisfy their appetite to what they thought would bring them contentedness. Nobody teaches a child how to be discontent. They know how to do it. Why? The psalmist says that he was sinful from his mother's womb. Uh, we inherit a sinful nature that constantly craves satisfaction and never finds it. And so a child will throw a tantrum in the middle of the supermarket, no matter how many people are there and who's around, because he's discontent. He's hungry now. He wants cocoa pebbles, not cocoa puffs, and he will express his discontent until he gets what he wants. And we continue our discontentedness well into our adulthood. Only our tantrums aren't perhaps as visible as when we were children. But the attitude remains the same. But Paul says, yo, I had to learn this. Discontent was hardwired into my bones, but I had to learn this. And, and this is what we're trying to do today. This is what I want for you today, to travel from discontent to content. But here's the thing. Many times we attempt to find contentment in our circumstances. So it looks like this sometimes. If, if, I, if I find a boyfriend, then I'll be content. I mean, all my friends at school, everybody on IG is all booed up and I'm by myself. If I had a boo, then I would be content. Or if I only got married, if I only found the one, the one who will finally be the love of my life, my soulmate, my Prince Charming, my princess, then I'll be content. Or if I could just get my loved one back, if I, if I could take back what I did all those years ago, if I could finally get over this sickness and get past this pain, then I would find content. But Paul tells us in this passage that actually our ability to be content is disconnected from our circumstances. It's connected from both our, our successes or failures, our wins or losses. And maybe you think, well, that's great for you, Paul. You're on the beach with your toes in the sand, sipping on an umbrella drink until you realize, oh, wait a second. He's not writing this from a place of comfort. 
Actually, Paul's circumstances are not all that hot right now. He's under house arrest, limited mobility and freedom, relationships kept at a distance, awaiting to hear from Rome if he will serve more hard time or face the death penalty for his crime of sharing the good news of Jesus. And yet he says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. Why? How can Paul say that? How is he able to be content in his present situation and on top of that write about rejoicing in the Lord and calling the Philippian church to rejoice? How is that possible? We'll get there. But next, Paul says, number two, contentment is not connected to resources. And here's what he writes in today's passage. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. Notice what Paul repeats in this next verse once again. He repeats that this whole contentment thing, he had to learn it. And he says he learned the secret of being content. He uncovered the secret. And I don't know about you guys, but this is one secret that I want to get a hold of. And he says that whether he was well-fed or whether he was hungry, he learned the secret of being content. Whether he was full in the stomach or his stomach was growling from hunger, he learned the secret to being content. He says that whether he was in abundance or in need, he learned the secret to being content. In other words, whether he had extra money in the bank, the fridge was well-stocked, and he had on a fresh pair of kicks, or whether he was late on the cell phone bill, his balance was approaching zero, and had holes in his socks. Regardless of his lack or abundance of resources, he learned the secret to being content. This leads me to ask the question, how did he learn this secret? Did you guys ever think about that? Well, my best guess is that though he could have learned the secret of contentment during seasons of blessing, he probably learned his most valuable lessons in his seasons of lack. When he was in prison, when he was shipwrecked at sea, when he was beaten into a bloody pulp for sharing the gospel, when his freedoms were taken away. You see, you can be very well resourced and learn the secret to contentment being disconnected from those resources. And, and if you're here today and you are well resourced, if you don't have to worry about how, how to feed your family tomorrow or if your bills will be paid or where the money will come uh, from next month to make rent, then first of all, I hope you praise God in heaven. And secondly, I pray you learn that contentment is absolutely disconnected from all of that. But if you've ever lacked resources, if you've ever got to the point where you didn't know uh, how you were going to make rent next month, or if you would have enough to get everything in your grocery cart, then you might just have a leg up. Because it's not until you get to the point where you've exhausted all your resources that you can then look up and realize that none of this was ever truly dependent on you anyway. You can realize that if God can feed the sparrows and dress the lilies of the valleys, then He can certainly care for you. If you've hit rock bottom and have yet to reach that conclusion, I pray the Holy Spirit would open your eyes to realize that the solution to your lack is not an abundance of stuff in order to find contentment. But that like Paul said, I have learned the secret to being content, whether well-fed, or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. So now maybe you're like, okay, Paul, good for you, man. You're, you're content. I get it. You're the man. But how do I get there? You're talking about secret this and secret that. What's the secret already? Well, I, I think you guys already know the answer. But Paul says this, number three, the secret to contentment is satisfaction in Christ. 
He says this, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through Him who strengthens me. Here's what it boils down to. Here's the grand reveal of this secret, is that ultimately the reason he can have contentment, regardless of circumstantial condition, regardless of the condition of his resources, whether in abundance or in lack, is because of Jesus Christ who gives him strength. And here's the thing. So often we hear this verse, and we see it on coffee mugs, and we have it printed onto shirts, and athletes embroider it onto their sneakers, and we say that we'll be able to climb Mount Everest and, and become millionaires and have the perfect marriage and family because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. However, the context of what Paul is saying here is that he can be content regardless of the situations he finds himself in or the resources that he has or doesn't have. Meaning his, his source of contentedness remains the same even if he fails miserably at climbing Mount Everest. Even if he has Philippians 4.13 embroidered onto his sneakers but is overweight 4 foot 11 and has zero chances of making it to the NBA. Even if, if the family isn't picture perfect and the laundry hasn't been folded in a week and the family photo is always crooked no matter how many times you fixed it. And the opposite of all that is true just the same. His level of contentment has absolutely nothing to do with circumstances or resources, is not connected to places, things, or people, is not connected to his feelings, emotions, or thoughts. The source of his contentment is Christ. And the reason so many of us walk around unsatisfied and discontented is because we connect the source of our contentment to everything and anything else other than Christ. And when this is true, our contentment is fleeting. Because even if you pursue and achieve that which you thought would give you contentment, once you get there, you realize that it's not enough and you want more. The secret to contentment that I hope from this day forward will no longer be a secret to you is that it is sourced from Christ. You see, for Paul, he realized that what brought him worth, what gave him identity, was not his success as a pastor, wasn't his ability to correctly teach and exposit the scriptures, it wasn't from the many tragedies, his suffering and opposition he faced, his identity, his worth, and thereby his source of contentment came from Christ. And what did Christ do? The Bible says that apart from God's intervention through Christ Jesus, our identity was children of wrath. That because of our sinfulness and outright rejection of God and His ways, we were doomed for eternal destruction. But that God, who is rich in love and abundant in mercy, doesn't treat us the way our sins deserve. Instead, God stepped into His own creation in the person and work of Jesus with the sole purpose of redeeming His treasure, you and me, who the Bible calls the apple of His eye. And get this, Jesus 100% man, 100% God, models for us what a life of contentment looks like. He models a life that is utterly dependent upon God, that returns all the praise, glory, and honor to God for both the abundance and the lack. Jesus knew what it was like to have all the riches of the world. Jesus left the praises of the angels, the perfection of heaven, the glory and majesty all due to Him, and He entered His own creation to be born in a manger, to live a life where the Bible says He had no place to lay His head to be despised, rejected, and ultimately crucified, and yet exemplified for us a life that radiated contentment and that brought all glory to God in and all through it. With all love and affection, Jesus came and lived the life that we were incapable of living. God's standard for relationship is perfection, and Christ fulfilled what we could not. 
The punishment owed me and you for our sin was death and the wrath of God, but Jesus absorbed our sin upon that cross. And with nails driven through the hands and feet of Jesus, so were our sins nailed with Him. So that as we gaze upon that cross, we recognize that it was His blood that washed away our sin. And because of His death, our identity went from sinful to forgiven. But good news doesn't stay stuck on a tree because even as they laid his body in a tomb, not even death could hold back his fierce love. And on the third day, the Lion of Judah roared. Jesus conquered Satan's sin and death and rose on the third day so that all who would call upon the name, all who would put their faith in his finished work, their identity would become children of God. And this, guys, is where the source of our contentment lies. Not in abundance, not in lack. In any and all circumstances, let us find the secret to contentment that is found in Christ, that we are able to do all things through Him who gives us strength. Lord, we pray that You would help us to understand that contentment is not connected to circumstances, that we are all in different places of life, but may the source of contentment be connected to the One who gives us strength. Lord, help us to see that our contentment is not connected to resources. Whether we have a little or much, may the source of contentment be connected to the one who gives us strength. And Lord, help us capture the secret to contentment. I pray that our satisfaction, that our identity, our worth will be found in the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, our King and Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, I truly pray and hope that you were challenged and encouraged by today's message. I want to take a second to invite you to join us in person. We're gathering this Sunday at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub, 239 Stanhope Street, right here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And come on over, join us, come to the Swerve Hub. Let's worship together. Let's get together. Let's worship God together. Let's learn and grow together. Let's fellowship together. Why don't you come on out and join us in person this Sunday?